Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In 1973, the United States Supreme Court... Let me turn down the music. Sorry. In, uh, in 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, decision, Roe v. Wade, gave every woman the right to an abortion. In 2016, abortion remains one of the most divisive issues in America, especially in Missouri. Award-winning director and Missouri native Tracy Drews Dragos joins us today to talk about the this wonderful new documentary that she's produced called Abortion Stories Women Tell and sheds a new light on this contentious issue with a focus on the women and their stories rather than the debate. It is a terrific film, and uh, as I said at the uh, top of the show, it's a very even-handed film. It gives um, all different points of view regarding this, as it says, very contentious, very divisive issue. I want to, uh, Tracy Droz Tragos, welcome to Film School. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Sorry. I was a little awkward, a little abrupt. So, um, well, it is. Uh, I, I know you, it says here you're, you're a native of Missouri, uh, and I know of the restrictions that have been in place for places like Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi. didn't realize that Missouri was also one of those states where it's nearly impossible, well, very difficult, let's put it that way, for a woman to exercise her right to terminate her pregnancy. Um, it, tell me a little bit about your thought process in focusing on your home state and um, <clears throat> and gaining the confidence because there's so many women involved in telling their story in your in your film. Tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to focus on my home state of Missouri in part, of course, because of my personal connection. And also we'll have to give credit to some wonderful women at HBO who were behind me. Um, as much as it's, uh, I think we need more women filmmakers in the world, it's very helpful when there are supportive female executives in the world who can get behind projects like this. So Sarah Bernstein and Sheila Nevins were incredibly supportive, and I'm not sure I would have had the courage to take on a divisive issue like this had I not had their backing and support. Um, But, you know, we chose to focus on my home state in Missouri because of my personal connection Mm -hmm. and also because of what was going on there, because Missouri is one of the most restricted states in the nation um, with only one abortion provider and with a 72-hour waiting period, um, which which has an incredible effect on the women there. Yeah. Well, Tracy, how did you get to know the the women that are in your film? There's, and I, I threw a number out. There's at least twenty. What is the number of different stories that you you were able to to tell in this film? Yeah, I mean, there are. I, I think we hear from upwards of thirty-two women in there, this film. Um, okay. We knew that there was going to be a cumulative effect. Um, it, we needed to include as many stories as we could rather than just a a handful of stories. Um, You know, if we had only included, you know, one or two or three or four, it would have been a film that was perhaps easier to dismiss because someone could say, well, it's just that circumstance or just that circumstance. Right. But but if we included the stories of many women, it, um, it really gives voice to, you know, to how many women 
need access to care and, and how many women this affects and the circumstances that they face. And it is, it's the cumulative effect, as you described it, of the different women's, different uh, walks of life, different circumstances, different stories, and different points of view. And you ha- you include in here people that are pro-life, the pro-choice, obviously the women who went through this and why, and the women who decided not to and why. And it is a powerful, powerful film. And I think you could walk away from watching this film, I'm sure, and whatever your point of view is on this issue, you would feel positive about what it is that your point of view is. I think, uh, um, and I, it's a testament to you as a filmmaker. And I love the this sort of POV. Sort of, there's no voiceover in the film. It's it's almost exclusively women telling very specific stories, but very universal stories as well. Um, but you. Obviously, well, thank you for your kind words. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, and I, and I, obviously, you were able to gain their confidence because I, I, I'm not a woman, but I, I don't, I don't think there are many more things that are more personal and more intimate in terms of what the thought process is that goes into a decision like this. And obviously, yeah, I mean, you it's made a them very, pro- very, yeah, it's a, I was just, it's a very private matter, you know, and it's ultimately something between a woman and her doctor. But unfortunately, um, you know, we, we don't have access in this country, and so it's important for women to come forward and share their stories. Um, you know, I, it, I knew that it was a big ask when I, you know, presented the opportunity to share the story, their story in this film, and not every woman, you know, felt comfortable or, or could come forward, even when... She appreciated that the film was being made and was grateful that the film was being made. You know, there was still a fear of the repercussions of, you know, whatever choice she was going to make in, you know, in her small town or in with her family or in the workplace. Um, and and so, you know, not every woman, even even if, you know, she she maybe wanted to really felt comfortable or could come forward um, to share their story. But there were women that did, obviously, and, and the women that did want to come forward did so for themselves, you know, did so because they felt really disenfranchised, especially in Missouri, with the restrictions that they face, and wanted to speak out um, and say, you know, I'm not a bad person. This is who I am. Yeah. You know, I have two kids. I have two jobs. I'm trying to put food on the table, and this is the most responsible choice for me and my family. Right. Um, and, you know, sometimes they did it also. I mean, I really felt that there was this generosity of spirit that they wanted to speak out also so that other women who followed them wouldn't feel so alone and wouldn't feel so judged and wouldn't feel like they were, you know, a bad person either. Right. Well, and and this is for me often uh, such a, a, a distinguishing characteristic of a great documentary, and that is we're able to understand the macro and the micro. And in your story, mm-hmm. sort of the through line of your story are a couple of different things. Is one is the story of Amy. Uh, in my mind, uh, she's she's sort of a thread that that w- is was pulled through the, the entire film. Also, the state of politics in Missouri, and while you don't dwell on it, it comes up often enough to remind us that whatever your feeling is about abortion as a, as a woman, 
there is this extraordinary outer this other world that has that is 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 directing your ability to exercise that const, uh, constitutional right and mm-hmm. it is and it is an important part of it because well the the um the people who are so-called pro-life have been unable to ban abortion they've made it difficult enough to make it nearly impossible and that's important that's an important part of however you feel about abortion that's an important part of the story is that a fair statement yeah well i mean it, it it really demonstrates i mean right now abortion is still legal in this country but at a state level um, that that right is being compromised. I mean, it's a right without a remedy, and some women, even if that is their choice, are really unable to access the care that they need. And, you know, that was part of why I wanted to focus in Missouri, because I felt like it, that condition was largely overlooked. And certainly there's attention paid to Texas and to Mississippi, but this is happening in many, many states in the country. And... Um, and, you know, it's not time to be complacent. Right. I, I think the statistic in the film, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it, it's at least 25, is it like 30 states have pretty restrictive um, laws now on the books? Was that was that the yeah, number? Yeah, I don't even know what that statistic is because yeah. laws are you know right. it feels like laws are being passed by the minute. Um, yeah. and, and honestly, I was told by a legislator who and a um, who is actually, you know, pro-choice and and supports gun control, and this is a woman who is really um, under siege and in the minority in the House and Senate, and she was telling me that, you know, this is what is happening right now, is that laws are being kind of piloted in places like Missouri where really nobody's paying attention, and if they're able to get a law passed, great, and then it, you know, kind of ripples out to the to another state, um, if a law doesn't quite pass but gets close enough, then they tweak the language and you and you roll it out. You know, you try it again. But um, but that's what's happening at a state level across the country. Now maybe that tide is going to be stemmed with this recent Supreme Court ruling, and uh, you know, so so maybe maybe there's hope that that trend stops. Right. But um, the encouraging yeah. thing about the recent Supreme Court decision was that it blasted apart this canard that they're doing this for women's health, that they are passing these laws in order to protect this, their sole reason for, for for passing these restrictive laws regarding, uh, you know, um, the rights of a doctor to operate a clinic in a clinic and all the different restrictions is to protect women's health. And the Supreme Court decision was pretty adamant saying no, you. I mean, you. You know, th- that's not what you're really trying to accomplish here. You're trying to restrict the ability of women to seek a, a legal procedure. And, yeah, I mean, so many, so many hurdles, and that ultimately women give up or clinics close. Right. And that's certainly, you know, what what you know, the 72 hour waiting period has no has no medical basis. But it is the spirit of it is that you know women are kind of need more time to come to their decision, and there were many state legislators who compared it to buying carpet sample or picking out a car that you need time to really consider to know that you're making the best choice. Right. And you know the reality is that women are quite capable of coming to their own decisions in their own time, and um, and the impact of of laws. 
like this to get in the way of that decision between their doctor and themselves is, is um, you know, is, is really devastating. And, and sometimes it is an undue burden, and sometimes it does make the difference between a woman being able to access the care that she wants to access and giving up. And and the the deceit of the of the people who are, in my opinion, the deceit that is inherent in their in these laws that they say are protecting women's health is that it is onerous, almost exclusively on women without the finan- without the excuse me the financial means to to that, go. That's it's really yeah. a, it's really a, 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 a onerous on as I said on women of who are live in more or less poverty or extremely marginal economics. Uh, Absolutely. And it, and it can mean that they stay in poverty if they're not able to access the care that they need. I mean, women with means are always able to, you know, even before Roe v. Wade, they could, you know, fly themselves to Europe or, or you know, to, to do what they uh, need to do. But, um, yeah. but low-income women are the ones who have to, you know, get gas money together and, and figure out, you know, transportation and figure out child care and figure out, you know, how they're going to miss work and, you know, all, all of that, women who are living more hand-to-mouth and living day-by-day, day, the impact of these additional restrictions are, uh, you know, it's, it's great, and, and it's, it is very burdensome. Yeah. We're speaking with Tracy Droz Dragos, and she is the director of the new film Abortion Stories Women Tell. It is uh, going to be, eventually it'll be running on HBO as part of their HBO documentary series. Have you been in front of an audience. I know you were at Sundance, right? Were you at Sundance with this? Well, I was at I was at Tribeca with Tribeca, it. We I'm premiered sorry. Um, at Tribeca in April. Curi- and yes, the the audience reaction yeah. was incredible. That's what I was going to get <laughs> so, to. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. What, yeah. What was it's the reaction? A little nerve wracking. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but it was it was a really warm and generous reception, and it, I, I shared the stage with many of the women who were in the film. And it was an incredibly rewarding experience for them, and that that was the most meaningful to me um, was that they were they were really embraced um, for being a part of this film and for sharing their stories. Yeah. If there's one thing in the last minute or so that I, I have with you, is there something that in this film, in the making of this film, that surprised you in terms of? your understanding, or was there something about the resiliency, or something that? Because the film feels very much like these women uh, that are in it, that are telling their stories, um, have uh, there is a certain. It comes across as resiliency, a certain, a certain strength in in the stories that they're telling. Um, but what is your what is your feeling? Is something about the film that you came away from w- with? Well, I mean, as a as a documentary filmmaker, I mean, I do believe that there's a strength and there's a power in telling stories and and you know speaking. Um, witnessing sort of a personal um, personal journeys, um, and I, I feel like the women who participated in this film did have a feeling of taking back their voice, um, and and it was a source of solace. And I hope that there is a ripple effect with that, um, a ripple effect both in women coming forward and sharing their stories, and a ripple effect of of some measure of solace. Mm-hmm. and a reducing of shame and stigma, because that really was the thing that struck me, um, was that no matter what a woman chooses for herself and her pregnancy, 
there was an overarching feeling of shame and stigma um, in the first place. So even the women who you know did what so-called pro-lifers would want them to do and that they carry their pregnancies to term or that they place their child for adoption, it still wasn't an easy road, and there was still a sense of stigma and shame for being in that position in the first place. And that's something that I, I hope um, this film can in some small measure impact uh, so that we can bring a bit more compassion and understanding to all women um, in this circumstance. You know, and one last thought, and that is in this day and age, in the year 2016, it does still still feel like it is a struggle for women to be fully vested in in a in the political, social, and cultural uh, um, issues and 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 the situations that everyone, one way or the other, finds themselves in. It still feels as if this is something that even in America, it still feels like this is something almost out of the ordinary um, or that still needs to be addressed, and it, it it's. It's depressing. It's it's depressing in a way that we're still here in so many places uh, around yeah. the country on so many issues. Is that a, is, would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I am depressed, but I no, but I'm I am hopeful. Also, uh, <laughs> no, I, I I do have. Uh, <laughs> I'm encouraged by the women who were willing to come forward. Yes. I'm hopeful about the impact of this. In many ways, you know, sort of small quiet film um, to, to encourage women to come forward and, and, and maybe change the climate a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, but indeed, I mean, until women have access to the health care they need and without stigma and shame and restrictions, um, we are relegated to a second-class status, and, and there's just really no other way of looking at it. It is a fundamental right, and if that right is denied... Um, then you know <laughs> yeah. we are we are second class citizens. The, there's one uh, segment of the film that, in my mind, is very powerful and 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 says a lot about the generation of women who are picking up the the baton in this regard at the conference. And forgive me for not remembering, but the woman who was there handing out brochures. Uh, opposing uh, Planned Parenthood, the funding of Planned Parenthood, and the woman who came up mm-hmm. and started arguing with her, I thought she was just absolutely like a laser beam. I thought she was terrific, and I thought she did, a, in those couple of minutes, did a wonderful job of summarizing and really driving home so much of what this, what surrounds this issue. Would that? Yeah, I yeah, so. and there. There is, of course, so much that surrounds it. Um, yeah. you know, again, education, access yes. to birth control, and, yes. and then you know, caring for the women that do choose to carry their pregnancies to term, support. Right, right, know? right. <laughs> so. Yes, well, well, thank you again. Uh, the film is Abortion uh, Stories Women Tell, and it will be on HBO. I, I'm sorry, I don't have in front of me, is there a schedule for that? Or we want people to go to the theaters to see it. But it will eventually. We want people to go to the theaters. Yes, it will be soon. If you don't yeah. come to the theater, yeah, it will be on HBO. Eventually, it will be on HBO. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, and I want to say a shout out to uh, Sheila Nevins and who is and the other woman from HBO. I'm sorry, Sarah Bernstein. Sarah Bernstein. Yes. <laughs> I think two of the most powerful people in in documentary filmmaking are are those those two. <laughs> I think Sheila 
is is it a class by herself in terms of her support and 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 her leadership in terms of getting these kinds of films uh, seen? And I my hats off to to her and to you, Tracy Dros Dragos for your your work as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me and your kind words. You're welcome. Take care, Tracy. Bye. You too. Bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 